Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Uh, we welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, computing, ingestible tech, uh, Airbnb, anti-vaxxers, um, all of the interesting stuff. Um, I hope you're somewhere warm and uh, and safe. And if you're listening north of the border, um, you know, um, thoughts go out. Um, lockdown is not a lot of fun. Tonight on the show, uh, it is Dan Salmon. Dan, how are you tonight? I'm 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 good. I'm I'm feeling all right. Just uh, sitting here in the studio, looking at you guys through the screen. Um, feels like 2020 all over again, but it's nice to be able to leave the house. <laughs> uh, Laura Summers is also uh, occupying one of those uh, screens on Skype. How are you doing, Laura? Oh yeah, good. I just thinking about that Sammy J video. Did you see the the song he wrote? It's like 2020 never left. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> it's quite good. Yeah, this sort of feels appropriate yeah. at this moment. <laughs> um, I'll be with you also. Uh, I'm Warren Davies. Um, RMIT University is uh, soon to be hosting uh, their Future U exhibition, uh, which looks really good. Um, they had a one or two delays thanks to thanks to the pandemic, but it's bringing together Australian and inter- international artists. And the exhibition examines the increasingly urgent questions of what makes humans unique uh, and our place in the world during a, a time of technological acceleration. And uh, Zhu Ying Li um, recently completed, completed her doctorate at the uh, Exertion Games Lab at Monash University. And she's doing some interesting research on the intersection of technology, the human body and, and play. And uh, Zhu Ying joins us um, in just a few minutes to talk about uh, her piece at the Future U exhibition. And we've also got uh, an interesting citizen science project that um, we're going to be having a chat uh, about later in the show. The Australian Search Experience is upcoming. It's uh, supported by a number of universities around Australia and um, uh, some other independent organisations. And uh, Mark uh, Androvich uh, is uh, stopping by later in the show to have a chat about that, which uh, which should be cool. But um, there's plenty of news going on uh, before that point. Uh, Laura, you've been um, looking into the go-to world of hacking and uh, you know, news there. Yeah, well, there's a hacker um, who's famous or infamous um, for his project called Punk Spider. This is Marcos, and apologies if I mispronounce this, but Marcos Caceres. Um, And yeah, back in 2011, he gave a talk at uh, DEF CON, which is a famous hacking and security conference, um, uh, which um, was the second incarnation of this, this Punk Spider thing. And what Punk Spider is, is a crawler for the web. Now, you may be familiar with this concept when you think of things like Google search rankings, right? Like when you have a website, that website gets ranked and that shows that that ranking determines where in the list of search results um, you get it. So it might be on the first page or it might be page 10 and, you know, back in the boondocks. But you can do other things with crawlers. And what he's done is try to search for vulnerabilities. Um, and it's very interesting because he's both pissing off the uh commercialization, you might say, of the hacking and security community by like essentially eating their lunch, by taking away bug bounties, and also pissing off public-facing websites um, by identifying vulnerabilities and then, you know, potentially inviting people to exploit them. 
so this website has kind of had a uh, tumultuous experience of like being live and pointing out vulnerabilities and then going down again. But uh, apparently recently, uh, um, Hyperion Gray, which I think is a security firm he works for, um, was acquired by a bigger company. And it looks like uh, this this punk spider is back in action. Um, and yeah, what it's doing is going around the web, like crawling websites um, and sending like fuzzing data, like garbage data at them to see what happens and see how well the servers respond. Um, and recently they found scripting vulnerabilities in websites like Kickstarter and LendingTree. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a really interesting story. He has a whole ethos, which is about like the purity of the hacker ethos and like the sort of anti-commercialization of it, which, you know, kind of speaks to my soul. I, I do like, I vibe with his, his feelings about the industry, but, um, yeah, like any, either of you have any feelings about this? Like if this happened to your website, would it, would it piss you off or would you be happy to find out? I, I think I'd be happy to find out. It's, it's nice to see that there's still that kind of, you know, original cyberpunk ethos in there somewhere, but I, I, I thought it was over. I honestly thought it was over. Um, you thought, like, you know, William I, I thought the internet was commercial now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I'm a bit the same. It's it's kind of it's funny it's because quaint. like we forget how janky the web is and how much of it is like you know these big complex systems like held held together on these like weird little open source tools that like you know one dude in Siberia literally like maintains in his spare time. So, um, you know, I think there's maybe more of it than we than we forget. Or remember, rather. Um, well, that's it. If you put something yeah. shiny on the screen, that's all you. Th- that's all you see. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but yeah I, I'm into Punk Spider, and I hope I hope it has a continued life on the web. And I think you know, if you're if you're eating someone's lunch by like pointing out some really obvious, like if if your script can point out vulnerabilities really easily, maybe the person you know making a couple hundred bucks off that can like find a more in depth way of adding value. I don't I don't have a major problem with him, you know, stealing a bit of um, bug bounty off of that off of that marketplace absolutely but there's there's heaps of other stuff going on warren did, did you want to um did you want to tell us what we're going to talk about next <laughs> there is um there i mean some something's got to die and and, and sort of um oh. get put aside and then get uh acquired and then sort of double acquired something's just kind of fall over like a clubhouse so dan what's what's going on <laughs> I, lo- I love that segue so yeah you, you guys remember clubhouse um it was really cool everyone wanted an invite to it maybe what like six months to a year ago i know I, I had friends like nagging me being like you need to join clubhouse i'm like yeah but they don't they don't tell you what they're going to do with your data and it was all very they were a bit weird um so the the, the hottest ticket in town is now available to anyone uh clubhouse has done its general release anyone can set up an account simply by downloading the app and no one has um there, there were 484,000 new installs globally between July 21st and 25th, which is a 17% increase from the previous five-day period. But um, Clubhouse, when it happened on the Android, uh, um, whatever you call it, store, uh, didn't even crack the top 20 of downloads, and it didn't crack. It, it ranked 10th on the Apple App Store. So um, I don't know. Did you guys even – like, I, I, I didn't bother with Clubhouse because it seemed to me like something that would – more or less do this too look it was a cool idea like you know the whole not recorded recorded you know in the moment kind of chat which i guess yeah. it was an interesting idea i, I don't like know like they, they were looking for like you know what is the stories of like linkedin that's kind of what i was thinking of you know it's like you take the the instagram um stories feature and apply it to linkedin but you know for, for audio um or or like maybe podcasting is the other like like x yeah. um 
but I don't know. I like I I literally just saw like hilarious takes about how bad it was on Twitter almost immediately. So I wasn't particularly interested myself. Like I was a bit like, ah, yeah, whatever. Mm. Flash in the pan, and maybe that instinct was um, validated. I'm not sure. What about you, Warren? Were you ever like mm. into it? Like, did you did you have a crack? No, I was I was curious about it. I, I think I was just kind of you know busy with other stuff at the time and it, it, it is um, one of those um, very manufactured release processes where um, you know limited invites it's not like I mean they're not splitting the atom so it's not like they were like trying to figure out they're not trying to figure out how they can scale like AWS <laughs> like a long time ago you know and you know um, Bezos is up in space. So it's not like, oh, you know, we just need to get a few more CPUs into here. So I, I think when you hear that stuff, and, and it's not uncommon these days to kind of throttle the start to make it seem exciting, but then, you know, managing a thousand obnoxious users and then realizing that you're only ever going to have a thousand obnoxious users, um, it's, it's just kind of a waste of time, to be honest. Mm. So just throw the doors open and, and let it grow. Or, you know. or, or not. Uh- <laughs> Before before we go to the next news, Warren, I would just like to say I am so very glad that um, Musk was not the first one into space. Like, you've got no idea how happy I am that it wasn't Elon Musk. You, can you just imagine what would have happened if it was? Anyway, back to the news, Warren. Yeah, yeah. No, Laura's going to um, – there's a, a little bit of local Airbnb news that, that caught our eye. Yeah, Yeah. look, uh, Victoria has the um, infamy, the, the famousness or the infamousness of um, – Having, I think, been in the the rarefied era of people who get kicked off of Airbnb for being anti-vaxxers, <laughs> so that's kind of hilariously bad. Um, yeah, apparently there was a, a person out um, in Country Vic who made a um, change to the rules for people staying at their place. Uh, it goes a little like this. If you have taken any of the experimental C-19 gene therapy vaccines within three weeks of your stay, please do not book this property due to the fact this job has not been safely tested and is showing signs of transfection, which is misspelled and that's burning my eyeballs. To those who have not had it, we are doing our best to keep our family and fertility safe. Well, um, yeah, so that's a thing. People people really are vulnerable to this anti-vax um, anti-vax uh, dogma rhetoric that's been floating around, especially Facebook, but also there's a lot of YouTube channels that go down this rabbit hole. Um, I feel sad, honestly, that we are at a stage where the world's information is available and yet so many people seem so vulnerable to these really pernicious and like, you know, honestly like evil messages. Like I think the people, not the people like being vulnerable to the anti-vax, but the people like whose agenda it is to fight the vaccine or to like, you know, cause strife or generally just like fight the government, um, <clears throat> Murdoch. I think it's it's genuinely terrifying that we we like both live in the era of the most information available ever and also the most deliberate ignorance or the most deliberate like um you know, attempts to to fight what you might call scientific truths, mm. um, and it's it's very frustrating nice. uh, to see stuff like this happening. And obviously, this Airbnb host is just one little symptom of the the broad problem. Absolutely, I see what you're talking about. You're talking about horse punch guy and fire twirlers, aren't you? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Horse punch guy, he uh, can rot in infamy. Come on, if you punch a horse, you, you fucking deserve whatever you get. <laughs> excuse, excuse my language. Uh, yes, language warning for that one. I, 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 will do, I do just want to say, I know this. it seems ridiculous that we have to say this, the vaccines are safe and they work. Um, mm. and I, I don't care if you disagree with me. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. Um, there are issues with the AstraZeneca vaccine that are well documented. And I, before you contradict me with that, um, the vaccines are safe. They work. And also you're not being injected with the virus, which is the entire point yeah. of the concern that this person had. You're not infected with the virus. It's not like someone scrap took a scab on their face and yeah. put it into your body. That was a very early form of inoculation. That's not how viruses work. Oh, sorry, vaccines work now. Sure. Um, you're teaching your immune system to recognize the spike protein. It's that simple. Basically, cool. Something that may be infectious is hopefully the Forgotten City, which um, Paul Callahan, if you're listening tonight, um, worded us up to uh, a few minutes ago. Um, it's a great new local game. Uh, indie game developer, modern storyteller, um, is uh, behind this. And the cool thing is, it's out everywhere. So PC, uh, Xbox, uh, PlayStation, PlayStation Five. Um, I shouldn't get me one of those, but uh, it's kind of cool. I, you know, I'm not the resident games reporter, but um, if you throw in Rome, I'm interested. So um, if you like the idea of, uh, I don't know, smashing through the hordes, um, yeah, bonding said people with said scabs that uh, we just talked about and um, plundering and looting. And um, actually, I'll, I'll just read the tweet. It's probably a little bit better. Travel 2,000 years into the past and relive the final days of a cursed Roman city where if one person sins, everyone dies. Unravel the mystery by exploiting its time loop, investigating, exploring and solving puzzles. Um, please read tweet. I guess yeah. I'm not a game. The visuals at all, look beautiful. Yeah, it's like Rome, Rome Doom. Um, yeah, and who doesn't want to shoot someone with a toga in the back with an arrow? You know, come um, on. I, do that. Do that. I haven't done that since uni. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Triple R. RMIT has a, a great uh, exhibition coming up soon uh, in Melbourne, uh, Future You. Uh, it explores uh, what it means to be human in the 21st century uh, and beyond that. And it's got uh, a great um, selection of Australian and international artists. And the exhibition is looking at, uh, I guess, the very urgent question of what makes humans unique and our place in the world during a time of technological acceleration. Uh, and we're very excited to have uh, one of the uh, artists uh, exhibiting at Future U um, in the studio with us um, on the other side of the planet, um, so to speak, um, Zhu Ying Li. Um, thanks very much for taking time to have a chat to us tonight. Hi, thank you for having me today. No trouble. Um, so uh, you've been doing a, a bit of work uh, in, in gaming and um, uh, sort of, as I mentioned, the intersection of, of technology um, through uh, Monash University here in Melbourne. But yeah. you, you're in this really interesting space where um, you're playing with, um, in this case, these very small bits of technology and our bodies and, and the idea of games. Can you kind of, what's, what's the concept here? It's, it's a really fun idea, I think. Uh, yep. Um, I, I was a PhD student uh, in Monash University, uh, the IT department, and this work is part of my uh, PhD research. So my whole PhD is about uh, investigating the game design and user experience 
design around this small technology in, in gestural sensors, which is a capsule-like uh, small device and people can swallow. And uh, the capsule can collect the user's bodily information after entering the human body. So uh, the idea we are doing this work is uh, considering about uh, currently the computers are getting smaller and smaller uh, and are closer to the human body. For example, uh, at first we play computers on, um, on com we play computer games on computers and we sit in front of the computers and play with our keyboard and mouse. Uh, and now and then we have wearable device and we can play uh, movement based games like ex exertion games. Uh, and so we are considering about what if the computers can get even smaller and it can get closer to our body, for example, by entering our human body. So what will happen? And we surprisingly found that there are this kind of tiny device and it can enter the human body safely. So we are questioning, could we just use this for play? Could we build any computer games based on this device? And what if, will it change the relationship between the computer and our body, between the games and our body? So that is the original idea behind this uh, project. So in my PhD, I have done three games around this tiny devices. And uh, the one I exhibited at Future U is called Inside Out, which is the uh, third and also the last prototype I built during my PhD. Nice. And um, were you fairly loose with the idea of the game? Did you want it to be something where people can kind of, um, you know, um, work with it themselves? Or what's the game element? How would you describe the game element? Uh, yes, uh, this one called Inside Out, we built this game uh, based on the imaging capsule. So this is a kind of device uh, after it contains a tiny camera inside the sensor. So after uh, it being swallowed, it can capture the people's gastrointestinal tract um, as video. So we built, uh, we, we, we embed a display uh, in the player's garment so and so they can wear a display in front of their body and see their real-time gastrointestinal video uh, and we also designed some playful modes for players to playfully interact with their real-time gastrointestinal tract video for example we map the video uh, on uh, the surface of a 3d ball um, and the ball is placed on the springboard so players body movements influence the balance of the springboard so players need to move their body in order to keep the ball on the springboard so they can uh, interact interact with their gastrointestinal tract video differently in different play modes. Uh, we want to engage people with their interior body. I have to admit, I immediately wondered if you were going to have a race between people to see whose like, little capsule would go down their gastrointestinal tract fastest. <laughs> like a little horse race to see who, whose like, pill would come out the other end the first. Ah uh, yes, because uh, this this project uh, inside out, we we only ask uh, one player to play at the same time. But in the past, we have other games based on ingestible sensors, which uh, supports the social play. And yeah, you're right. Sometimes the two players will race, and they will they will guess who will excrete the sensor at first. 
I'm going straight to Mona with this one and imagining, like, you know, the finishing line for that one. Um, <laughs> the cloaca. The, like, internal version. So, yeah, that, that, that's something that I'm interested in. So with, with, the, with the video interpretation of the gastrointestinal yeah. tract, like, once it gets to a certain part of the gastrointestinal tract, it gets a yeah. bit messy and gross. Like, how, yeah. how, 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 would, how would you expect people to react as it kind of goes from being, you know, the nice bit up the top to the gross bit down the bottom. <laughs> uh, so uh, on, on the micro level, we want to uh, use this kind of game to let people know more about the, their interior body and to engage with uh, the, the interior body. So, uh, you know, in, if in a medical setting, some, peop- some, uh, some patients need to use this kind of device to do the medical uh, test and to see, what, uh, to see the condition of their gastrointestinal tract. So in this this case, uh, they are required to not eat anything before the test, so they can see a very clear video, and for for the doctors to to clearly see their. Uh, interior body. But in our case, we, we are for a game for entertainment. We are not aiming for a medical test. So we just uh, we told the participants beforehand, uh, saying that if you if you add something before the the play you you might see something messy uh you might see how your food was digested but uh if you want to see a clean view of your uh, gastrointestinal tract if you want to know the structure uh you can stop eating anything one day before the uh, the play so Interestingly, some some players just they want to see a clear view. They want to know the structure of their uh, gastrointestinal tract because different parts of the tract might look different. They want to gain this kind of knowledge, so they stopped eating anything one day before the the game. But some people they say they just interested in how their food was digested because they thought their their body was like a machine to process the food, and they they were interested in what the food will be like after entering the human body. For example, one player said um, she she had some like bubble tea uh, during the game and she was surprised that the bubble inside the bubble tea actually uh, was digested very slowly and it made her question uh, if it is a good or healthy food to eat regularly. So, yeah. Wow, that's cool. So- um, well, tell us about like the technical challenges of designing this capsule. Like, did you have to think about lighting the camera, and how do you protect the technology from like the the gastrointestinal fluids and stomach acid and all of those things? Uh, this kind of uh, technology, uh, the the imaging capsule was not uh, built by us. We purchased it from a commercial company. That is also because of the uh, ethics uh, reason because. Considering the ethics uh, parts, we cannot just uh, develop something by ourselves and ask someone to eat because it might be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we used the uh, commercial one, but this kind of. But we also talked with the developers and researchers in in this field. They uh, they mentioned about some technical challenge, for example, about the battery, because uh, usually it might stay inside the human body for um, for even about more than two days. It's possible. So. Uh, it, it challenged the battery because it, the battery should be very tiny inside this capsule, but it is hard to last for uh, a long time. Uh, yeah, and this kind of thing. And they, I, I know some researchers, they are also working to explore how to um, make uh, the, the, the sensor can 
move freely inside the human body because now the the capsule is like passively and uh, move inside the human body just based on the gastrointestinal motility. But they are investigating mm. whether we can control this movement outside the patient's body. Having oh, a wow. control, so you can just kind of drive it through and you know do a bit of that would be lots of fun. Yeah, <laughs> having it's a little joy in the future. Yeah, yeah. I did just remembered Penny. I shrunk the kids. That's the first thing I thought about. That's the first thing I thought about. So, 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 shooting. It was, I suppose, when you swallow, as you mentioned before, the gastrointestinal process from yeah. start to finish can take anywhere up to you know twenty four to forty eight hours. Were yeah, people yeah, yeah. interacting with the game for that whole period, or did people like go away and come back, or how how, how did how did that work? Yeah, we, we just let them experience it uh, in the field. So they, they come to our lab and we just help them uh, ingest the device and wear all the devices they need. And then they can freely, uh, they just left our lab and uh, enjoy their normal days. So, but usually they, they are, uh, they are quite interested in knowing about their body and how the food can uh, influence their body. So they might try different things uh, like some uh, body movements, because sometimes the body movements might influence the the GI the gastrointestinal uh, tract shape, and they can see that, uh, it's changing. Uh, and also, they they might try different food to see how the uh, the food was digested. And uh, because of the technical uh, limitations, the imaging capsule's battery only lasts for about eight hours. So after eight hours, they would come back to our lab and return the devices. Mm. Yeah. I think I have to ask the obvious question here. How soon can we play this game and where can we play this game? I think we all want to do it. Yeah. Uh, sorry? sorry. Uh, I, I, no, I was just saying we, we all seem very keen on, on playing this game and, and getting involved, but we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, do, do you have, having been through this and done this particular game and, and experiment, um, what are some of the other ones that you'd like to design in future? And are they around ingestible tech and, and exploring stuff in that way? What future ideas do you have? Ah, yeah. Uh, in the future, uh, we are interested in knowing more uh, technology that can be uh, integrated uh, in our body and how we can build games uh, or playful system around that. For example, we know there are some uh, uh, people love to implant chips uh, under their skin. Uh, I, for example, some artists in Australia, they have already done that. But, but uh, previously, they usually... Uh, build these implantables for certain reasons, for example, for opening the door or for uh, unlocking their cars, for example. Uh, but we didn't see much work have done to investigate how implantables can be used for games. Uh, so we, we are interested in knowing a broader range of like bodily integrated technology, how this can challenge uh, our relationship with within the games. Interesting. Um, you are the controller. Ah. <laughs> so, so, like, is it, is is it possible to build like geolocation into it as well? So, like, you could it could be like you know a, a, a geolocation game where you are in fact the 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 chip. <laughs> yeah, I think it's possible in the future. Be yeah, because currently most developers of these devices are just a f functional basis. They they were built for medical purposes, and this kind of sensors might be not that useful for medical purposes. But if I, uh, if we take a more first-person experience perspective for non-functional purpose, we will have more and more interesting and funny <laughs> devices in the future. I think. Mm. Um, yeah. 
I'm, I'm curious to know, you, you might have like a, a set of peers who are, who are doing similar things or people, you know, whether you went through uh, Monash together or, or what have you. What else is yeah, happening yeah. in this kind of space, um, either locally in Australia or around the world, um, around sort of ingestibles and playful games? What, what should we be looking out for? Uh, yeah, there are uh, there are lots of people working with uh, bodily integrated technology, but not only with uh, ingestible sensors. For example, uh, in our lab, we have people working with brain-computer interface. So how how they we can play with our uh, EEG signal, and so so we can be more aware of our emotions, and also take care of others. For example, uh, and also uh, we know some people. Uh, in I think in Europe working with uh, implantables, but maybe with a more functional purposes. And some people in our lab are, uh, are working with EMS, which is the muscle muscle signal. And how can we play with this kind of devices? So a lot of people are working around this bodily integrated technologies. It's. Uh... Um, Dan, did you want to? Well, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, shooting. Thank you. Uh, it, it's really awesome uh, work that you've been doing in this. I'm, I'm fascinated by it, particularly the um, the idea of yeah, watching what happens towards the end of my gastrointestinal um, thing. I, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm interested so much as horrified, but I, I'm really interested in that. Um, where can we find out more about the work that you're doing? Uh, sorry, where can, the work. Where can we find out more about your work? Where, is there a website? And, and if you uh, want yes. to see the exhibition, you where do you go exhibition? to check that out? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People can come to the Future You exhibition, uh, and also uh, if because of the rest restriction, if you could not attend physically, uh, you can also check our lab's uh, website, which is exertiongameslab.org. Fantastic, and I think it's yeah. definitely worth checking out. Uh, we, we've been speaking to Shuying uh, Li on the Future You RMIT exhibition. Thank you so much for making the time to join us all the way from China. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Triple R. We do like a bit of citizen science on Bite Into It on Triple R. Um, is there another science um, that is the science, I guess? Search, search algorithms, um, how we find stuff is uh, actually a very um, uh, personal experience. Um, I, I still remember the time when uh, it was pointed out to me that not everyone's Google is the same and not everyone's DuckDuckGo is the same and so forth. Um, so um, uh, what Mark is going to talk to us about and the... Uh, um, this wonderful piece of uh, exploration is really exciting. Uh, Mark uh, Andrzejewicz, sorry if I've mispronounced that, um, is here to talk to us about the Search Experiment Project, uh, which is coming up. Uh, Mark, thanks for making time to, to have a chat to us tonight. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for your interest. Not at all. Um, have you done much citizen science? Um, I guess if it's fair to call it that. And it, what's 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 the kind of point of passion for you in, in this that, that sort of um, gets you excited about it? The, well, the, the point of passion really has to do with holding 
some of these tech companies and platforms accountable for systems that shape our information world in ways that are largely opaque to us. Uh, I've, I've spent a fair amount of time thinking and writing about the ways in which the data that's collected about us via interactive media is used to customize, target, uh, and otherwise find ways to engineer and govern the public. Uh, and so I'm... I, I, one of the things that I've done in the past, and, and actually this is another project that's coming up through the ARC-funded Center of Excellence that's hosting this project, is looking at how ads are targeted online. Uh, so um, we, we have done some work in the... So when you talk about past citizen science, and, and what we really mean by this is kind of... Um, people participating and helping to generate the findings that will provide some transparency for these platforms. And there's a, it's, there's kind of a political project at stake here, right? You know, the, um, uh, how do you counter the huge amounts of knowledge uh, or data that's collected, you know, by um, these private commercial companies? Well, one way is to do it in that political way. How do you counter the concentration of power in one place well with a lot of people so you know if we can get a lot of people to um help provide the information that that sheds some light on what's taking place behind the scenes or behind the screen um that's one possible response to concerns about how accountable these uh, these platforms are so it's been put together by um, uh, the ARC Centre of Excellence, uh, Automated Decision Making and, and Society. Um, what's what's your stock and trade there? What what do what do those folks do? So uh, the centres, as you uh, noted, is funded by the ARC. It's, it brings together uh, eight Australian universities as well as uh, a number of uh, industry partners and also some overseas uh, organizations and partners. Uh, and the goal is really to take a look at the ways in which automated systems make decisions that uh, have consequences for people uh, and to think about uh, how we make sure that those systems are implemented uh, in uh, you know fair responsible and ethical ways uh, and so it was it was uh, you know funded last year or it was inaugurated last year uh, and it's a quite timely center in the sense that we've got a we know that we live in a world where increasingly these uh, all kinds of automated systems are making decisions uh, that have real human consequences. Uh, and the center is inter interdisciplinary, so it brings together folks working across uh, the humanities, the social sciences, and STEM uh, to to raise these questions among people who've been thinking about the social consequences and people who are also thinking about the technological capabilities of of these systems. Um, so just to just to take the sort of adversarial view for a moment, like if I was relatively unengaged with um, these topics and you said to me, oh, hey, you know, like you might type in a search query and you're going to get a different result than Dan and then Mark and then Warren would like what's the what's the answer to so what? Like, why should I care about that? Like, do you want to frame this for us? Like, what's at stake here or like, why does this matter so much? Yeah, I. I think the stakes have to do with um, the kinds of concerns that we've had recently about um, how the information environment intersects with democratic concerns and commitments, right? So in a democracy, a couple of things need to take place. You know, one is that people need to have uh, accurate information about 
the decisions that affect their lives and, and about the positions that uh, their representatives take with respect to important issues of the day. Um, and the second is they have to have, you know, some shared knowledge base uh, about the world. And third, they also have to have some sense of interdependence and sociality, right? Um, commercial imperatives are different. Uh, and, you know, they have a very important role to play in society, obviously, but they don't necessarily align with democratic imperatives. So, um, you know, if the commercial imperative is you are an individual, we're going to feed you just the uh, opinions and information that you want, um, that may meet your consumer needs, but it doesn't necessarily meet your citizenship needs. Uh, and these commercial platforms are geared up to meet your commercial needs. They're not geared up to address questions about democracy. That's not what they do. That's not their function. Uh, but in a democratic society, you have to say, well, if, if you're just serving one type of information and that information might... Um, lead to increased political polarization. It might lead to people not recognizing their interdependence or not having a, a you know, kind of shared sense of a common um, uh, society that they're participating in. That's going to have negative impacts for democracy. So accountability here is really to kind of say, yes, the commercial side is really important, but the democratic citizenship side is important. How can we balance those? How can we, you know, if the weight has really turned in the direction of everything being shaped by large, you know, kind of oligopolistic um, tech commercial platforms, you know, from a democratic side, you have to ask, oh, okay, well, how can we come in and provide some accountability for mm -hmm. what's taking place? It, do you, oh, sorry, Dan, did you want me well, to? No, I, I was just going to ask, like, if we're talking about the, the idea of your, I suppose, data and search history being used to feed you advertising in a certain way and then you know that being that ethos being translated to something like nation builder which is you know built purely for you know engaging with people in a political platform do you think people would feel comfortable if they knew more if it was more transparent that this stuff was going on um i i think that people you know to the extent that they would i, I can i can talk about some past work that we've done People know in principle that uh, this stuff is being targeted, but it's, it is different when you see it in practice and you see what things are being picked out about you and how those things are being used to shape the world that you see. And I think that's um, in some ways an eye-opening experience. It's a diff there's a difference between kind of knowing in general that's happening and then seeing how it's happening to you. Um, and I should you know, say a few details about this particular um, uh, program that we're launching, the Australian Search Experience. This one specifically focuses on search engines. So the question that we're asking is, if you enter a search term uh, into a search engine, do you see the same thing that somebody else with a different search history sees? Uh, and if you don't, the other thing we do, uh, so so we're recruiting participants to basically install a, it's a, a you know, a browser plugin um, that that runs search terms in the background, you don't see the actual search terms taking place, but you get a notification that this is, is happening. So we kind of borrow your browser, we enter some search terms to see what results are returned for you based on um, you know, the profile that the search engine has about you. And then we compare that to what somebody else with a different profile gets. When you sign up for it, you provide some basic demographic information, nothing that we could use to reverse engineer identity. Um, we don't collect any personal data. It's, we only get the ads off of the search. But just 
um, having that basic demographic information that you provide does allow us to see things about uh, to, to see whether if there are differences in the search results, those correlate with demographics. Are uh, people who self-identify as uh, female getting different results for the same search term as people who self-identify as as male, or, um, and so we can do some kind of basic questions around that. But really, the big question is to see how much variance is there. You know, what? How much of a shared world do we have on these search engines? Uh, is it is it you know really different, or is it really kind of mostly the same? Uh, and until we run the um, project, we don't don't really know the answer. Do you have a sense um, of how much people know or acknowledge, like the the sort of personal bubble they're in? Like, like I know a lot of people, especially if you went back, say, to 20, 2008, you talk about Google like it's a ground truth, like it's like just the reality, <laughs> um, and there isn't any sense that it's a curated feed. I think now that's like that that bubble's been burst a little bit, but some people still think of it pretty much still as that ground truth and. Um, so I'm curious if you're observing or collecting any sort of qualitative data about the people whose browsers are using, like, do they themselves understand how curated this feed is for them versus thinking of it as something that's, um, you know, like just the same for everyone. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's the raw crystal of knowledge. And I'm just chipping off it a little bit. I, you know, I, I think people are a lot more conscious of ad customization because they'll do something like they'll search for something online, shoes, and then all of a sudden they'll, these shoe ads will start following them around the internet. So they see that happening. You, you don't see it happening with search because you don't see what other people see. You'd have to kind of sit down next to somebody with their computer and go, all right, let's do the same searches. Um, uh, so I, do, I don't think, so we're, for this part of the, of the project, we're not collecting that type of qualitative data. But um, I, one thing that you, you can kind of divine just from the, from the difficulty of seeing what other people see is that it's, it's kind of not obvious on the surface. And the other way you can see it is it's there, uh, despite all the things that we know, there's a really persistent um, way of talking about these tech platforms that treats them as if they're kind of neutral, right? You know, so all of this thing like, oh, you know, if you kick somebody off Twitter, you're interfering with free speech as if Twitter is somehow free speech, right? Like what the thing that we need to understand about all of these systems is they're all curated. There is no not, there is no neutral, non-curated information world. There's too much information. It's not possible to non-curate it. Um, so, and that's true of search. That's true of uh, of social media. Um, there's always an algorithm behind it that's deciding what type of response um, uh, you're going to see, and that algorithm is shaped according to the imperatives of the platform. But, yeah. Yeah, the agenda of the platform, which is, you know, to match you to um, people that are paying for ads or to yeah, like to websites that they've ranked highly because of. Yeah, the things that go into their browser um, crawler, and that obviously again is, um, you know, designed to their incentives as opposed to some kind of neutral idea of what is a good website or what is a useful piece of information. Yeah, engagement, stickiness, all of the things that they look for in their in their sites. Hey, um, Mark, I'm interested to know. Um, the kind of the first big piece that I read about this kind of stuff was the um, surveillance capitalism and um, I'm probably going to get it wrong, Shoshana Zuboff maybe um, around that. 
she, she kind of painted a picture where things started to tip when kind of the um, Obama administration realised that there was this great natural relationship between things like Google and, you know, um, the security kind of military-industrial sort of complex. And governments are not well-resourced to, to, to create these kinds of wall gardens that we, we all use. How, how do we kind of wrestle that back if that's, in fact, what, what we need to be doing so that um, there is some oversight some citizen democratic oversight over how these things work. Is it, has, has the kind of cat got out of the bag? Like it's, it's not going to happen. Um, what, what's your... <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I, I mean, in part the project that we're doing is to start moving the conversation in that way. So a, a couple of things have to happen. You have to have um, enough, you know, political level concern to motivate regulatory oversight. You have to be willing to have um, the public imagination to imagine alternatives to the types of models that are dominating the information space. But in order to get either of those, you've got to get some public conversation happening. Uh, and really what we're doing with this search project is in part trying to get that conversation happening, um, you know, to direct attention towards the way our, informa our information worlds are being shaped uh, and to raise questions. Is that the way we want it? Um, are there concerns that we should be addressing? Uh, but, it, you know, it's... It's it's a big question and it's a huge challenge, the um, size and economic power of these platforms and the kind of modes of life that we've um, uh, developed that are really based on and accustomed to, to these systems. So um, what's your plan for the sort of conclusion of this research or this experiment? Like, do you have a, a plan for how long you want to run it? And do you see there being like a report or some kind of, um, you know, like further citizen engagement uh, sort of, um, you know, like way of describing what you discovered about the information space and how, how sort of close or different it is for people depending on, um, yeah, their demographics and their, their location and all those um, those things that you're looking at? So the, the initial plan is to try to run this for a year, uh, and um, so how it works is uh, if if you know if you if you do a Google search for or a browser search for um, uh, Australian search experience, uh, you, this will come up. It should come up as one of your top results. Um, we'll find that out, I guess. With the uh, uh, and when you get to that page, it'll tell you how to install this, uh, and it'll give you all the background information. You can disable this. Uh, extension at any time you can get, uh, you know uninstall it uh, but we're hoping to run for a year and we're hoping to generate findings as we go so we can change the terms to correspond with issues in the news for example so if you know uh, we're running some searches on covid19 vaccine now as a search term and so we can see are people seeing different results depending on their search histories if they enter that search term when a federal election comes up um we think you know likely within the horizon of of uh, when we're operating we can see uh, are people getting different results when they enter candidates names in and so the idea is to keep it rolling and to report the results as we go. And if we find interesting results, uh, to put those out so that they get coverage. I, you know, if we find something interesting, I'll be back in touch with you and let, let you know and see if it's something you'd be interested in, in talking about. Uh, and then that might, uh, you know, help build more interest in, in the way the project's working. 
Um, Mark, it does sound like a really interesting uh, project and I'm fascinated to see how it works out. If people want to get involved, they can Google the Australian search experience and, uh, and uh, get, that, get that plug-in onto their browsers. We've been speaking to Mark Andreevich from, from ADMS. Thank you so much for your time, Mark. A pleasure. Thanks so much. Triple. Um, I'm just going to mention uh, Your Ground, which is uh, an interactive map that crowdsources women and gender diverse uh, people's perceptions of uh, safety in public space across Victoria. Um, So in the spirit of, uh, I guess, everyone having a say in our technology, this is really cool. Um, The results will be displayed on the interactive stress map, which reveals the places that women and gender diverse people um, uh, are preparing to avoid or flagging uh, as a place that you want to watch out for. Um, so we might just tweet that link out. Um, the data will provide insights into how we can make our cities and towns and parks and community uh, safer and a better place to be, um, which is really cool. Um, Laura, you've got uh, an exhibit. Yep, there's a uh, a talk, um, a panel talk from Digital Rights Watch called "Exhibit Rebalance the Internet Economy," and they're talking about um, all these fascinating things. Uh, like uh, what is pornography, who gets to censor the internet, who generates content, who pays for it. It's an amazing panel. It's happening tomorrow at six o'clock. We actually know several people who are speaking. Um, It's Eliza Sorensen, who we've had on the show several times. Also, April Ellen Orten, Joshua Badge, and Dr. Zahara Stardust. Um, So get onto the Digital Rights Watch website if you want to check this out and just look for their exhibit event. Um, It's online for free tomorrow at six. Absolutely. Um, I, th- I think uh, we've got Instagram for twe- tweens is going to be launching as well. So uh, that, that if you, <laughs> I, I'm reading about this right now, so I don't know much about it. Um, but they have uh, published a blog post confirming that it's working on an Instagram experience for tweens to target children under the age of 13 who are not permitted to sign up Instagram. That, that way madness lies, I think. Guys, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm 100% okay with it. <laughs> Please, please don't get tweens addicted to no, ads on Instagram any sooner than they need to be. Like, let's I, I, let it go. I, I think we should let that one go. Guys, it's uh, always a pleasure uh, doing uh, Bite Into It with you guys. You have been listening to uh, us, Warren and Laura. Uh, my name is Dan. We want to thank our guests this evening, Xu uh, Jing Li from uh, our, uh, RMIT, uh, and as well as, our doc- as uh, Mark Andreevich. From ADMS. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.